0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me in the second and third segments of today's program is first-time guest, Mr. Selwyn Duke. Selwyn is a journalist and uh, offers a very interesting perspective uh, on Western civilization today. thought it would be a great way to end the year Also, it is the last opportunity for you to get a copy of the December client only newsletter by visiting the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. The December client only newsletter talks about this cycle, which is inflation followed by deflation. When you study history, where we are today is very predictable. Where we go from here, I believe, is very predictable. And this client only newsletter, Provide you some insights as to this cycle, where we go from here, and some strategies to consider for your situation. So again, the website, requestyourreport.com. And when you go to request the report, I'll also send you a copy of my Revised for 2024 Revenue Sourcing book. The Revenue Sourcing book has been, as I mentioned, revised for 2024. This was a bestseller when it was released in 2020. And uh, when you go to requestyourreport.com, I'll get you a complimentary copy of the book as well as the client-only newsletter, but this is your last opportunity to get them. So there is a lot going on around the world, and in this segment, I want to talk about the fact that there is more movement away from the U.S. dollar. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that back in August, I talked a lot about what might come out of this BRICS summit. Now, BRICS might seem like a foreign term to you. So BRICS is actually an acronym that stands for the countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Now, if you're not familiar with this coalition, let me explain it to you the way that Reuters does. The acronym BRIC Without the S, BRIC, which did not initially include South Africa, was coined way back in 2001 by Goldman Sachs chief economist Jim O'Neill in a research paper that underlined and outlined the growth potential of the countries Brazil, Russia, India, and China. That's BRIC. Now, this block was founded informally in 2009. And the objective of this coalition was to provide a platform for its members to challenge a world order dominated by the United States and its Western allies. Now, it might not surprise you to learn that the creation of BRIC was initiated by Russia. Now, South Africa joined the bloc in 2010, and that made BRIC, BRICS. Now it remained that way until August of this year, but now coming up here right now, January 1, there are some big changes taking place with BRICS. Before these changes, however, these countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa account for about 40% of the world's population and a quarter of the world's economic output. So essentially BRICS is an anti-dollar, anti-U.S. dollar, I should say, coalition. Now, increasingly, the BRICS countries have been openly stating their goal is to develop an alternate currency to use in international trade rather than the U.S. dollar. In other words, they want to develop an alternative to the U.S. dollar. Now, in August of this year, this BRICS coalition was expanded six more countries were admitted to this coalition. The countries were Argentina, Egypt, Iran, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates. Now, these six countries were added to BRICS in August, but their admission would really not be effective until January 1 of 2024. Now, since Argentina now has a new libertarian leader, he has stated that Argentina will not be joining the BRICS coalition. Now, what's interesting about these countries is that Iran, United Arab Emirates, and of course, Saudi Arabia, they are all oil-producing countries. Now, to get an understanding of these latest developments that we'll talk about on today's program, it's really important to understand the backstory of Saudi Arabia and the US dollar. Now, here on the program, I have recounted this story in the past, and I'll do so again briefly today for context. In 1971, the US dollar changed and was transformed from a currency backed by gold to a fiat currency. Now, if you're not familiar with what a fiat currency is, a fiat currency is a currency that has no backing. It's not backed by something tangible. It's backed only by the taxing power of the government that issues it. And a fiat currency is legal tender, not because you can exchange it at a fixed rate for something tangible like gold or silver, but it's legal tender because the issuing government has declared it to be so by decree or by fiat. Now, this transformation of the U.S. dollar going from being really a claim check for gold to a fiat currency was made suddenly back in 1971 when Richard Nixon went on television and made the announcement that the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold would be temporarily suspended. Now that temporary suspension actually became permanent. Well, in 1973, Henry Kissinger, who is recently deceased, Mr. Kissinger quarterbacked an agreement between the United States and Saudi Arabia. In short, the deal required Saudi Arabia to sell her oil exports only in U.S. dollars. In exchange, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia received political and military protection. Well, it didn't take too long, and the rest of the oil-producing countries of OPEC looked at the deal Saudi Arabia got. They wanted in as well. It was a great deal. And all the OPEC countries eventually signed on to a similar arrangement. Bottom line at the time was this if you were a country that wanted to buy oil from an OPEC country, you had to inventory US dollars to do so. It was the only way you were going to get the oil. It was a master move by Mr. Kissinger that served the United States well for more than 50 years, but now it's beginning to unravel. And incidentally, these U.S. dollars were inventoried in the form of U.S. Treasuries or U.S. government debt. So it was also a terrific way for the United States to be able to find an automatic buyer for the debt they had to issue because they operated at a deficit. So again, a brilliant move by Mr. Mr. Kissinger, but it is now, as I noted, beginning To unravel. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is simply the state of U.S. finances at the national level. From a financial perspective, the United States is now fundamentally broke with a fiscal gap that far exceeds $200 trillion. Secondly, the U.S. dollar has been increasingly weaponized which has catalyzed this shift away from the U.S. dollar worldwide. Now, this shift, the shift away from the U.S. dollar can be observed on a lot of different fronts. But perhaps the most important of these observations is what is now happening with the BRICS coalition. With the addition of Iran, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia, the new BRICS coalition will will control just under half of world oil production. Now, there have been social media posts out there that say it's 80%. Those are just social media posts. That's not true. But the BRICS coalition will control just about half, just under half of world oil production, and that's a big number. Now, prior to... The BRICS membership of United Arab Emirates which is starting here on January 1, the United Arab Emirates made an interesting decision. Now the timing of this decision is especially curious and I'll talk about it more in the fourth segment of today's program. But the bottom line is this. The United Arab Emirates announced they will now no longer be using U.S. dollars in oil trade. As they are set to enter this BRICS coalition, they have said no more U.S. dollars. If you want to buy oil from us, you have to have a different currency. So that is obviously a very big blow to the U.S. dollar and the dollar dominance that still exists around the world. In fact, Even with this change, most international transactions will still occur in the U.S. dollar. It's just that it's a lot less, a lot fewer transactions, a lot smaller percentage than it once was. I'll talk about this more in the fourth segment, but you're probably wondering, where am I going with this? Why am I bringing this up? Well, we just went through an inflationary period, and the Fed has now announced that there will be rate cuts in 2024. Combine that with the fact that many oil-producing countries are now joining BRICS and moving away from the dollar, and it is setting the stage, in my view, for more inflation. I bring it up because it's time to protect yourself, and one of the ways to do that is to get some additional resources. When you go to requestyourreport.com, I'll send you a copy of the December client-only newsletter, which gives you some strategies to consider. I'll also send you a copy of the updated revenue sourcing book for 2024. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Selwyn Duke. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is first-time guest, Mr. Selwyn Duke. Uh, Selwyn is a longtime journalist and commentator. His website is Selwynduke.com. That's S E L. W-Y-N-D-U-K-E, SelwynDuke.com. He writes for The New American. His work has also appeared in The Hill, The American Thinker. He is a frequent radio show guest and commentator, and it's my pleasure to welcome him to the program. And uh, Selwyn, thank you for joining us today. Dennis, it's great to be with you. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Hey, let's jump right in. Um, you wrote a piece about... Uh, I think it was titled The World Without the West, and uh, very interesting about how you discuss that uh, Western civilization is really under attack. Um, Can can you describe a bit for the listeners, uh, first of all, what motivated you to write that piece?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Western civilization has been under withering attack for a long time now from the so called left. This dates back many decades. I think it was in the 80s already that we had that chant, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go on college campuses. But what really motivated me, Dennis, was that so often we will see defenses of the West, but that still has really the posture or the tone of being defensive. And my focus here is that I want to mount an offensive for the west because the truth is there's nothing to be defensive about the west is the greatest civilization that has ever graced this planet bar none and we shouldn't be defensive at all we should be very proud of it
0: so so when you 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 talk about these these attacks against western civilization uh certainly uh college campuses it's it's no secret uh, that they are leaning far, far left. And you mentioned that, and I think that's probably getting worse. Um, Can you describe just uh, a couple examples of the types of attacks that we're seeing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there was a while back, I have this in my essay, this YouGov poll that found that 42% of, I think it was young people in the UK, believe that the UK was founded on racism and remains structurally racist. Now, That's so silly because when England was founded ages ago, there was basically only one race there. People back then didn't even have the concept of racism that we do today. And then you had, I think, this soccer head, Gianni Infantino. This is in my piece, too. He was addressing that they were having some kind of an event in Qatar, and people were criticizing that because they were saying Qatar. I know they call it Qatar nowadays for some reason. The Middle Eastern country abuses human rights. And he got very, very defensive. And he said, well, the West has no business talking. For 3,000 years, we have been abusing people. And it's just so nonsensical, because the truth is, is that for 3,000 years, not really that long, but 2,000 years, we have been civilizing the world, starting with the ancient Greeks, maybe 2,500 years ago. We fought against Islam which threatened actually to overwhelm the West at one point. So we can go on and talk about how the West has transformed the world, but those are a couple of examples right there. And, of course, the main raps against the West, Dennis, as you know, would be things such as slavery and colonization and the violation of human rights and, more recently, climate change.
0: Well, let's dig into those, uh, Selwyn. If you're just tuning in, I'm chatting today with Mr. Selwyn Duke, His website is Selwinduke.com. You can read his work at The New American as well. So, Selwyn, let's talk about slavery. Uh, You say that is a rap against the West. Um, Isn't that really a rap against the West?
1: Well, you see, here's the issue, though, and I put it this way. Really, this is the only line you need to refute this criticism. Westerners might not have been the first to practice slavery, Dennis, but this is for sure They were the first to end it, and that's a striking fact of history because you have to remember that slavery was once ubiquitous throughout the world. It was widely accepted anywhere and everywhere. No one questioned it until Westerners came along. Really, I would say, for the first time I know of in the 1500s already, where you had, I think it was a Catholic clergyman who was questioning it in the Spanish court. He was talking about the mistreatment of South Americans, but... Anyway, you go on in history, and then you saw that Britain outlawed slavery. And in fact, in 1777 already, a year after we declared our independence, there was an effort to outlaw slavery in Vermont, and they did do it in part. And of course, then we outlawed slavery subsequently. So the truth is, is that today there is slavery, but it's not perpetrated by Westerners. We see slavery in places such as Africa, the Middle East. In fact, I think this is a correct statistic that there are perhaps more slaves in the world now than there have ever been. I'm not sure about that, but I believe I did read that, but it has nothing to do with the West. We ended it. And again, that's something we can really hang our hats on and that we should be very, very proud of. And by the way, I'll point out, you know, Kamala Harris, as I'm sure you know, she has ancestors who were slave owners and slave traders i believe so it's a very very complicated picture when you talk about slavery
0: so someone let's let's get into the next uh point that you made colonization and uh you know when 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 you read accounts of this uh, depending on of course who's writing the account it's uh, that you know the colonization really Displaced innocent people. It made their lives worse. I mean, from from my limited perspective, that that's the rap. What's your response to that?
1: Well, the truth is, is that there's no correlation at all between having been a colony and poverty. In fact, Walter Williams, the late college professor, late economics professor, who, if it matters to people, was black, talked about this on many, many occasions. He would point out that there were countries that were never colonies or were colonies for only very short periods of time that are grindingly poor today. Places like Nepal, for instance, and then you have places that, were colonies that are as rich as can be. Our country, the United States, is one of them. You have Australia. You have Hong Kong. I mean, there are just so many. The list goes on and on and on. And the truth is, is that if you want to put it in perspective, Dennis, you have to remember that Most lands were colonized at some point. I mean, the same rap that we see against the West today, these complaints could also have been made about the Romans 2,000 years ago when they were conquering many of our ancestors. They conquered Europe. They were in Germany, Germania at the time, for 20 years. Not that long, but they were in England and, of course, France, which back then was Gaul, and Spain, which back then was Iberia, I believe. But the point is, is that all these people could have said the same things. They could have said, well, oh, these Romans, they're trampling our culture. They're imposing their values upon us. We're oppressed. But when we look at the big picture now, Dennis, what do we say? We say, in reality, we have to say that a lot of positive came out of that because Romans spread their superior culture. They spread Christianity throughout the West. They built tremendous infrastructure aqueducts and amphitheaters roads it's just striking they brought technology to these areas so you have to look at the big picture the colonization itself of course is not a good thing it's part of man's inhumanity to man but you have to understand that every cloud has a silver lining and if you're going to assess history you have to do it logically and fairly and when doing this Here, I'll mention Thomas Sowell. He's another economics professor, thankfully still with us, also a black fellow. He's addressed this issue, and what he pointed out is that whenever you had a situation where a superior culture was colonizing an inferior culture, it was the latter that always over the long term benefited for the aforementioned reasons, because the superior culture would bring superior technology and whatnot. And the truth is, that is a major way in which, throughout history, civilization was spread. And you could see that in more recent times, when the West went to Africa and other places. Yes, I mean, there was brutality, there were injustices, but Also, they transferred Western culture to these places. And I, in fact, had an African friend. He was from Zambia, and he was talking about this years ago with me. And he said when he was in school, they were debating this. And he took the position that the colonization was actually a good thing. The British were in his land because, again, they spread modernity throughout it. So when we have in this segment about
0: two and a half minutes left, so I'm not sure we'll get through this entire topic, but you mentioned violation of human rights. And certainly uh, when you start looking at a lot of the uh, rhetoric that is uh, floating around today, that certainly seems to be an escalating criticism of Western culture.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. And really it's very funny here because – if you look at the sins, the sins of the West, well, they're universal things like slavery we mentioned and war. Well, also the violation of human rights. These are things that all civilizations have been guilty of. But here's the funny thing. When people criticize the West on this basis as being guilty of violating human rights, they can only do that within the context of a world that the west has established and what i mean is is that the west birthed our whole modern concept of human rights to begin with we couldn't even render this criticism if the west hadn't done that this concept of human rights did not exist it's a product of western minds in the main so as i was saying yes the sins we talk about of the west are the sins of all mankind but the triumphs are all its own And again, that's a very, very striking fact of history and undeniable if you operate within the realm of logic. Well, my
0: guest today is Mr. Selwyn Duke. His website is selwynduke.com. That's S-E-L-W-Y-N-D-U-K-E, selwynduke.com. He is a journalist and commentator. You can read his work also at The New American. Uh, I will continue my conversation with Selwyn Duke when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting today with first time guest on the program, Mr. Selwyn Duke. Uh, His website is selwynduke.com. He is a frequent commentator on many different radio programs. He is a journalist with many years of experience. You can read his work at the New American. And uh, Selwyn, Prior to the break, we were talking about uh, some of the the knocks, if you will, some of the raps against Western civilization. We talked about in the first segment, slavery and colonization and the violation of human rights. You made some terrific points, but here comes a big, big uh, topic, uh, a bit controversial today,
1: and that is climate change. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it certainly is, and of course, that's another criticism mounted against the West, that somehow we're inordinately responsible for this. Now, even if you subscribe to the anthropogenic climate change thesis, which I don't, the bottom line is that, The West does not present the problems with respect to environmentalism. Rather, it reflects the solutions. The fact is, is that here I provide this example in my article. Now, you have certain countries that are trying to cash in on this scam, and so they're asking for climate reparations. I believe Pakistan was doing that, and people were talking about the floods that they had in Pakistan, how they're supposedly due to climate change caused by the West, so we're responsible, so we have to pay. Well, here's the truth. The truth is, is that I believe it was in 1947, Pakistan was about a third covered with forest, a third forested. Now that's down to one twentieth of the nation. And that is, of course, because the Pakistanis have deforested their land. They haven't managed it well. And that has allowed there to be flooding because you've got a lot of rainwater runoff from the mountains. You can have floods. That is the reason why they had those floods. It has nothing to do with the West. But here's the bottom line, okay? before I just get away from climate change a little bit let me say you have to realize that co2 is not a pollutant it's actually a gas that's necessary for life on Earth some people call it plant food and even if you do think it's a threat you should realize that it's China and India really that are the biggest polluters now or at least China I mean these are countries that are creating new coal-fired power plants on a regular basis again I don't have a problem with it but that's what's happening. Meanwhile, China, we heard recently, is funding climate change efforts in the U.S., probably because they know it's going to hobble our economy and they want to put us out of business. But Anyway, my point is this. Let's talk about the environment in general. You have to remember that there are two prerequisites for having a good environment. One is prosperity and the other is freedom, Dennis, in the sense of being able to choose your own leaders. Now, why is that? Well, if you can't choose your own leaders, you can't hold the government accountable. And when you can't hold the government accountable, history tells us, that the tyrants that control things will absolutely run roughshod over the environment. We don't have a lot of time, but I can give you an example or two. You had Stalin and the Soviet Union. He drained the Aral Sea until it was 10 to 15% of its original size. You had Lake Karache and the Soviet Union that became so polluted with nuclear waste, which was being dumped into streams and rivers that fed into it, that it said if you would have stood on its banks for an hour, you might have received a lethal dose of radiation probably an exaggeration but the point is is that lake now is under concrete because it was so badly polluted those are just two examples in contrast you take a country like ours the united states we have more forested area now than we did 100 years ago unlike pakistan our water and air are cleaner than they were 60 years ago Part of the reason for that is that we can choose our leaders, we can hold them accountable, and that always yields a better environment because, Dennis, no one wants dirty air and water. Okay, now let's move on to prosperity. Why is that a prerequisite for a good environment? Well, it's very simple. An old Chinese proverb tells the tale here, and it goes like this. When there's food on the table, there are many problems. When there's no food on the table, There's only one problem. And, of course, what that means is that when people are starving, when they're suffering privation, they're not worried about clear-cutting the rainforest. They're not worried about killing the last white rhino. They just want to survive. They want to feed their kids. They want to put shoes on their feet. The truth is, whether we like it or not conservationism which i like to call it not environmentalism is a luxury of people who are comfortable and we should be good shepherds of the earth but that is the reason why you'll see that the freest most prosperous countries such as ours have the best environments and the least free least prosperous ones have the worst environments it's crystal clear and this again exonerates the west because the truth is is the prosperity that we've brought to the world and the governmental systems that provide freedom representative government have allowed us to among other things have cleaner environments than they have in countries such as china and the former soviet union and many third world countries where you see that their rivers are clogged with plastic and by the way, plastic in the ocean is a problem, but only 1% to 3% of it originates with the U.S. Most of it comes from coastal third world countries that have poor waste management systems. I'm chatting to Mr. Selwyn
0: Duke. His website is Selwynduke.com. You can read his work at The New American as well. Selwyn, you know, there seems to be this, uh, I'm just going to call it a relentless narrative. Uh, from my perspective, it seems to be very orchestrated against prosperity, against freedom, um, and and certainly that seems to have been um, uh, accelerating here over the past few years. Um, Give me your opinion as to the state of health when it comes to the principles of Western civilization that we've been talking about.
1: Hmm. Well, unfortunately, we're leaking oil and we're running on fumes, as I'm sure you know. I mean, the truth is, is that the things that made Western civilization great have to a great degree been discarded. And we have been descending into an abyss of immorality A lack of virtue, and really that is the solution. I mean, but what are the signs of what we're talking about? I mean, you look at the things that we're consumed with today, the sexual devolutionary agenda, as I call it in schools. I mean, instead of teaching kids reading, writing, and arithmetic and basic truths, we're exposing them to drag queens. We're talking about how girls and boys can change sexes at will, claiming that that's possible. We are peddling to kids dei and critical race theory demonizing white people demonizing western civilization telling kids that good is bad and bad is good that is what is going on and we have to right this ship and if we don't as sure as night follows day we will fall make no mistake about it
0: so Selwyn, you, you use the term right this ship let me use that term in your view um First of all, can, can the ship be righted? And then, secondly, what has to happen, and, and and what would you anticipate the time frame needs to be to to reverse a lot of the things that we're seeing?
1: Yeah, well, Ronald Reagan said it only takes one generation for freedom to be lost, and Yuri Bezmenov, the Soviet defector, pointed out that the process of demoralization, the undermining of The morals of a target civilization takes about 15 years because that is how long it takes to inculcate one generation with the wrong ideas. Okay, so basically, theoretically, you could reverse this probably in one generation. I'm not saying it's probable or easy, but theoretically, you could do that. Now, what needs to be done? Well, let's diagnose the problem. Our founding fathers talked not just about liberty, Dennis. People don't focus on this. They don't realize it. They talked about liberty's prerequisite also, which is what? Virtue in the people. They use that term virtue over and over again. To quote Edmund Burke, who was not a founding father, he was an Anglo-Irish philosopher, but he put it beautifully. He said, it is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Again, our founding fathers expressed the same idea in different words. If we become brutal And savage, as I think Thomas Jefferson put it, I'm paraphrasing now, we will have more need of masters. And people who need masters, rest assured, will get them. So, what is the solution? Well, if the problem is a breakdown in morality, demoralization, then the solution is moralization. Well, how do you do that? I put it this way If morality came in a jar, Dennis, what would be on the ingredients label? The virtues would be what is virtue virtue refers to that objectively good set of moral habits and there are many of them it's the opposite of a vice of course there is carriage diligence hope faith love so so many others there's a plenitude of them but when you understand this dennis everything becomes clear because it's no longer a mystery How do you help a child to grow into a moral person? You inculcate him with the virtues and you model them. It's just like if you want to teach good tennis. You come to understand what the principles of tennis are, and then you model those and you inculcate those. The the virtues are the principles of morality. How do you write the ship of civilization? Well, again, you encourage people to cultivate virtue in themselves. And if they do that, the liberty will take care of itself. Because, again, as Edmund Burke said, if we descend into a vice-ridden mentality, if we become savages – We're not going to enjoy freedom no matter what we want. We're not going to have the prerequisite for it. But if we are a virtuous people, then we don't have to worry about that. The liberty will take care of itself. And that must be understood because everyone wants to talk about freedom, on my side of the aisle especially, and that's fine. But if you don't tend to what's necessary to enjoy that freedom, you will not enjoy it. An animal living in civilization cannot enjoy freedom because he's an animal. He's going to be in a zoo or he's going to be on a leash. A little toddler cannot enjoy much freedom because he still has not been civilized. If you give him adult freedoms, he's going to hurt himself or others. If we are nothing but overgrown toddlers, then we're going to have to be controlled by an outside force. As Marcus Aurelius, the famous Roman emperor, said, stand erect or you'll be made to stand erect. You can't get around that truth.
0: Well, that's a great place to end it. My guest today has been Mr. Selwyn Duke. His website is selwynduke.com. You can read his work at the New American Selwyn, uh, very much a pleasure to catch up with you today. Uh, Enjoyed the conversation. I know the listeners will, too. Love to have you back down the road as well. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate the invitation, and I wish everyone a very, very Merry Christmas. We will return after these words.
0: You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Mr. Selwyn Duke for joining me. On today's program. I've been talking on today's program about a lot of the changes that are taking place around the world as it relates to the U.S. dollar, which has long been the world's reserve currency. By that, I mean it's been used in international trade as the preferred currency. Uh, It still is. Uh, There's not another currency that is really close to the U.S. dollar. But the U.S. dollar has been losing favor uh, all around the world. Now, the United Arab Emirates, prior to joining BRICS, is an oil-producing country. The United Arab Emirates announced they will now not take the U.S. dollar in oil trade. If you want to buy oil from United Arab Emirates, you have to have a currency other than the U.S. dollar. So the United Arab Emirates is out there putting together oil deals, bypassing the U.S. dollar. And according to the Financial Times, United Arab Emirates is discussing deals with 15 countries, including China, Russia, and Egypt. Now, Cryptopolitan, uh, in an editorial, had an interesting comment that I want to share with you relating to this situation. Quote, this change could potentially reshuffle the cards in the international oil trade, impacting the dollar's stronghold and introducing a new era of currency dynamics in oil transactions. The United Arab Emirates' proactive search for new oil trading partners is a testament to its agility and foresight in navigating the evolving economic landscape. The significance of this move cannot be overstated. It's not just a matter of switching currencies. It's about altering the very fabric of international oil trade. The potential ripple effects on the U.S. dollar could be substantial, marking a shift in the global power balance. Now, I find it interesting the timing of this decision by United Arab Emirates to abandon the U.S. dollar in oil trade. Because it came at the same time as Russian President Vladimir Putin visited the country, Putin visited United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia on the same day. Now, Al Jazeera reported it, basically stating that Putin made a one-day tour to the Middle East visiting Saudi Arabia after he visited United Arab Emirates. Well, in United Arab Emirates, he was escorted to the presidential palace. He was greeted with a 21-gun salute and a flyby of United Arab Emirates military jets that were trailing smoke in the colors of the Russian flag and... The president of the United Arab Emirates called Putin his dear friend. The president of United Arab Emirates later issued a statement saying that he and Putin discussed quote the importance of strengthening dialogue and cooperation to ensure stability and progress. Putin echoed those sentiments. Now, is Saudi Arabia about to make a similar announcement. We'll have to wait and see. Although in early 2023, Saudi Arabia began to entertain oil trades in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. So this is all moving extremely quickly. Here we have Saudi Arabia saying, we'll look at other currencies, even the Chinese yuan. Now, less than a year later, United Arab Emirates, as the country is joining BRICS, says no more. US dollars. Now, in light of these recent developments, it's clear this move away from the dollar worldwide is intensifying. Now, what we don't know is when the tipping point will occur. But in my view, it's only a matter of time. Now, will it be right away? Will it be in a few years? I don't know. However, I'm reminded of the Ernest Hemingway quote from his novel, The Sun Also Rises. I think the novel was published back in the 1920s. One of the characters in the novel, Mike Campbell, was asked, how did you go bankrupt? Mike replied two ways, gradually, then suddenly. I expect the decline of the US dollar will follow the same trajectory. We are seeing now gradual moves away from the US dollar around the globe. And I believe, like Mike Campbell in Hemingway's novel, that this will move gradually and then suddenly. Now, as we're moving into the first weeks of 2024, it's possible, perhaps. It's even likely that this year becomes the year that owning tangible assets in some of your portfolio is rewarded. Many of you have already received our Precious Metals Buyer's Guide. If you've not yet gotten our Precious Metals Buyer's Guide telling you how to buy metals and how to buy metals in your IRA and Roth IRA and perhaps even using 401k money, I would encourage you to get this free guide. You can go to plpmetals.com. That's P is in Papa, L as in Lima, P is in Papa, plpmetals.com. Let us know where to mail this Precious Metals Buyer's Guide, and we'll be glad to do that. And as I close the program today, I'd also like to remind you it's your last opportunity to get the December client-only newsletter. It's titled the You May Not Know Report. Uh, This newsletter talks about the inflation followed by deflation cycle that has existed so many times throughout history, and we are once again experiencing it. To get that newsletter, go to requestyourreport.com, and when you request the, the newsletter, I'll also send you a completely revised for 2024 revenue sourcing book. That's all free. Just go to requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the report and the revenue sourcing book. I'll be glad to do so at no cost to you and with no further obligation. And again, to get the Precious Metals Buyer's Guide, it's PLP, Papa Lima Papa, PLPmetals.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Happy New Year. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.